This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Hi there. Welcome into Small Talk. I'm your host, as always, Michelle Smallman. We've reached episode 19 of Small Talk, and it's the first Small Talk pod we've done in the month of October. And one of the things I appreciate most in a person is self-awareness. And even though I think it's a dirty word, I'm a little bit basic when it comes to the month of October. I love, love, love the fall. I love Halloween. I love watching Hocus Pocus. I love drinking red wine. I love a good bonfire. I like flannel. I love wearing layers. I like apple cider. You know, even though it's kind of gross, sometimes enjoy a pumpkin spice latte. All of these things make October the best month on the calendar. But the peak part of October, the MLB postseason. And we're lucky enough to have Robert Flores from MLB Network join us later in the pod. We're going to preview all of these unbelievable MLB postseason matchups we have on deck. Can't wait for that. And I'll probably sneak in a question or two about the Cardinals because you know it's not sitting well with the fans here in St. Louis that they're not in the postseason yet again. Before we do that, we need to get Tommy Freeze Pops on the line and we'll run through three random things. Freeze Pops, what's up? Hi. All right, let's dive right into three random things. And I want to kick off the first random thing talking about your Boston Celtics. Okay, love it. Actually, I guess it's our Boston Celtics now because I've adopted the Celtics because of Jason Tatum. Love it. There you go. We have a team in common. Congratulations. For the first time, yes. Um, So let's talk about our Boston Celtics. So Kyrie Irving obviously made a lot of headlines when he talked about the fact that he firmly, firmly believed that the earth was flat. He said that he had gone down a, a YouTube rabbit hole and regardless of what everyone was saying to him, would not change his mind. Well, he has since apologized, saying that he was huge into conspiracies at the time and that he doesn't necessarily (laughs) believe that anymore. So, Tom, what were your first initial reactions when you saw that Kyrie finally walked back those conspiracy theory notions? I was happy because when the Celtics traded for Kyrie, I remember tweeting like, all right, I'm I'm pumped that we got him. You know, it's a little sad that we lose IT, but, you know, can we stop with the flat earth stuff? It's kind of stupid. It's really, really dumb. And it's kind of damaging, you know, because there's some kids out there that look up to you and you're saying the earth is flat. Like, come on, man. Like, people take what you say as Bible sometimes when you're a celebrity. So let's, like, not say untrue things. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped that he finally just was like, yeah, man, I was just super into conspiracy theories, which is totally something, like, my friends would say. And Kyrie just kind of seems like this, the type of guy that sort of just, goes with wherever the wind is going that day. You know, he's sort of just an impulsive guy like that. So it it was not a uh, surprising thing to hear that he eventually was going to go back on the flat earth stuff. But that's going to follow him forever. Well, he was speaking at the Forbes Under 30 Summit. Um, It's hard to believe that he's only 26. Doesn't it seem like he's he's much older than that? I know. Um, But, you know, he said, at the time, I was innocent in it. But you realize the effect of the power of your voice. And even if you don't really believe in that, don't come out and say that stuff. That's for intimate conversations because perception, how you're received, it just changes. So you're you're absolutely right in the fact that I think that he knew he had an incredible platform. But I don't think it was until people were coming up to him being like, hey, dude, I'm a science teacher and you can't say that because I have kids coming up to me saying, well, the earth is not round. I heard Kyrie Irving saying it was flat. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, God, I'm still just focused on the 26 thing. We're the same age and he's just 
so much more wealthy than I am. Yeah, but you at no point ever thought the earth was flat. So who's really winning there? <laughs> so I have that win over him. I actually remember when him and I were both freshmen in college at the same time, obviously different colleges. And I remember just being so impressed with his beard. Oh my God, how does that guy have that beard? It's unbelievable. You always remember the one athlete that you always kind of tie into your same draft class, right? I will never forget that Chris Long is in my draft class because I came to <laughs> St. Louis right after I graduated the same year he was drafted to the St. Louis Rams. When people will say, man, Chris Long's been in the league a while. How old is he now? I'm like, mm, we're in the same draft class. <laughs> <It's fine." laughs> he's not that yeah, old. Exactly. I will yeah. always write for him. I'll be like, he's not that old. What are you talking about? Yep. That's, that's uh, Kyrie and uh, Cam Newton for me. Oh, so. Cam Newton's 26. You would think he's older as well. So he is He is older because he had some, uh, you know, stuff that went awry for him in college that, you know, didn't allow him to get into the NFL as soon as he probably could have. But, yeah, he was in college. He, he spent his one year at Auburn my freshman year in college. Interesting. Uh, so those are the two guys I, I'm like, uh, Cam Newton, just a little older than me, much more wealthy. <laughs> yes. Okay, so this Kyrie walking back the flat earth stuff got me thinking, and I wanted to present this to you as random thing number one. Are there any conspiracy theories that you believe in? Because I kind of teeter on the line there. There's some that I really ride for that I could absolutely buy into, and then there's some I'm like, people really believe this stuff? I I can't ever imagine logically thinking that this could happen. Uh, yeah, so I'm not really a conspiracy guy. I don't know if that makes me, like, not, like, a fun dude or if that makes me kind of lame, but all the conspiracy stuff out there, like, Tupac is alive and, you know, dinosaurs didn't exist and, I don't know, like, the John Lennon conspiracy theories that are out there, JFK, I, I just, I can't really ride with them. I'm kind of just conventional wisdom, like, no, Tupac is definitely dead. Oh, he's he's for sure dead. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, they're just not really my jam. You know, I'm just not a conspiracy theory guy. I believe that we landed on the moon. I believe that that video is real. You know, like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I just, it's not for me. Now, is this one of those things, like, when you told Saruti and I that you're not really a big sweets guy, yet we consistently would catch you <laughs> eating sweets? Is this one of those things where... You're like, oh, I'm not really a big conspiracy theory guy. And then all of a sudden, later down the road, we're going to find out that you actually buy into all of these random things. No, no, I, I <laughs> no. And, and I'm not a big cheese guy. I'm not. Tom. <laughs> Tom. I'm not. I'm really not. I mean, I know, I know there's people that are out there to disprove me, but I, I'd much rather have a chicken wing than a cupcake. That's just, that's just how I live my life. Sure. But I've also never seen you <laughs> shun a dessert. <laughs> I'm always down for a little taste. <laughs> okay, well, when you came to St. Louis, I took you to get gooey butter cake, and at no point did you say, ooh, it's a little too rich. I'm not really a sweets guy. Okay, well, you know, when in Rome. Oh, I guess. I guess, <laughs> but don't say I'm not a sweets guy when you absolutely do love sweets. Okay, so there's two conspiracy theories that I subscribe to. Can I share? Sure. First one is Marilyn Monroe. 
I went through a phase in college where I kind of did a deep dive on Marilyn and Jackie O. You know, the eternal question, are you a Marilyn or are you a Jackie? And I thought, you know what? Let's figure this out. We're actually, I think most women have a little bit of both in them. You're kind of a Jackie Marilyn hybrid, if you will. Hmm. You don't necessarily have to choose a side. You can be a little bit of both. Um, but anyway, in reading about Marilyn, I had to do, it was for an English class. I, I did a, a report on this Marilyn biography. And okay. there is a pretty solid conspiracy theory that exists out there that thinks Marilyn Monroe's overdose was actually her being murdered by the mafia for JFK. Because most people know this, Marilyn Monroe had an affair with JFK when he was the president. And a lot of people out there think it got kind of messy with them and that JFK ordered the mafia to take out the hit on Marilyn and that they staged it as an overdose. Okay. Now, where's the corroborating evidence? I'm just saying it's a plausible theory. <laughs> See, I think that's just where, like, my journalism school, you know, background kind of comes into play with all these conspiracy theories, you know. But, like, look, I mean, it's plausible, I guess, if you, if you believe that JFK had all these mafia ties, which I guess, you know, there is there is documentation and some reporting on it. It kind of makes sense, I guess. And like, oh, she became a problem. She was getting allowed. Got a, got a you know, whack at, you know. So, uh I guess. I mean, you're you're the Italian. You're the one that ha- that has all this mafia information, right? I oh, mean, absolutely. <laughs> it's actually an insane theory because it has to do with not only the Kennedys and the mafia, but also with Frank Sinatra. There's all these allegations out there that she was found dead in her Brentwood home, but a lot of people claim that she actually spent her final night alive at Frank Sinatra's house. See that? See that type of stuff is fascinating to me. Right. Like hear, hearing about like celebrity deaths and like what they were doing on their final night. Like, it's obviously very sad, but at the same time, like I was watching the Robin Williams documentary. I know this is like kind of a rant here, but he was with Jim Belushi on the night that he died. Like, I just find this stuff insane. And like the, there's other stuff with Chris Farley that I was reading. I mean, I don't know. That that type of stuff fascinates me. And I, I don't know, does that fall under conspiracy theory? Well, I don't really uh, know where you were going with umbrella? that, so I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> just because they hung out the night that he died, I don't really know what the theory is there. Well, I don't know. Is it is it fact? Is it? Uh, yeah, I guess it's not a conspiracy theory. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know if you know what a conspiracy theory is, actually. <laughs> like, here's the Maryland conspiracy theory, okay? So, uh, okay. five days before her death, she made a well-documented trip to Sinatra's place, right, to his compound, if you will, and was spending time with Sinatra and a mafia boss, Sam Giancana, I think his name is. And allegedly, they tried to persuade her to not go public with her affairs with JFK and Bobby Kennedy. And people were claiming that then she flew on Sinatra's private jet home to L.A. that morning and then was found dead at her Brentwood house, okay, of a suspected overdose. And uh, the coroner said it was a problem suicide. So that's where all these questions come into play, right? If here are these two really powerful people who are tied to even more powerful people who are trying to convince you to not go public with information that would undoubtedly shape the course of American history, and then all of a sudden you leave their care and the next day you're found dead of an overdose, which is probably, as far as murders go, the easiest thing to stage. I mean, it just raises a lot of questions. Yeah, that's that's one of your easy, you know, low grade murder attempts. Uh, yeah, yeah, just overdosing. That's how we do it. Just you know, the way that she was found dead too. She was laying face down with sleeping pills nearby, 
uh, it, just the whole thing, if you, re- if you read into it, you're like, you know what? I could see that being real. So, I mean, when you, when you break it all down like that, and if you, if you believe that all those events happened the way they did, and, you know, you, you believe that all those affairs happened the way they did, I mean, it makes sense. It does, I guess. Well, let me give you one more really interesting and incriminating part of this Maryland conspiracy theory. Police reports and FBI files on Marilyn Monroe have been lost, destroyed, or blacked out. And after she was found dead, her diary was missing from her home. Hmm, I wonder why that is. So that's interesting to me because then that leads me to believe that the government had something to do with it. Well, if the president is orchestrating the hit, then yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, okay, this is giving more credence to your theory, which I'm sure, you know, it's not your theory. No, I did not. Shared by many, many, many people. Uh, Okay, interesting. My other conspiracy theory that I subscribe to has to do with JonBenet Ramsey, (laughs) which is so random. When I was younger, the first kind of inkling uh, that I knew I wanted to get into journalism, which is insane, was the JonBenet Ramsey murder. I was young. And remember watching this on TV and could not understand or figure out why they could not know who killed her. I'm like, what is the answer? We would go to the grocery store and I would beg my mom to buy me all the magazines about the JonBenet Ramsey murder. And I would document, okay, they think this or they think that and do maps and try and figure out the clues, like try to put the clues into the puzzle and figure it out. So I always had my theories, but recently there's been this kind of a newer wave of information that's come out about the case. So, of course, I'm up on it because, you know, eight-year-old journalist Michelle is still in there somewhere. Yeah. So CBS did this unbelievable special on the JonBenet Ramsey murder where they had a panel of experts relook at the case with fresh eyes and fresh technology, which is super important. Uh, and the most incriminating part of this is the 911 call that happened. I believe it was JonBenet's mother that called. So, you know, a lot of people thought the parents were involved and people would say, why would the parents be involved? Why would they kill their own daughter? Well, when you look at all the evidence, there's a couple things that point that way. One, the ransom note that was found in the house had a lot of details that only people inside the family would know. Number two, they had experts rewrite the the ransom note and it took 30 minutes to write knowing top to bottom what it said so if you're a murderer and you break into someone's house you're not going to just sit at the kitchen counter for 30 minutes and write out a ransom note Hmm. and it was written on paper that was inside the house so it's not like they brought it in from Uh, the outside Yeah, that was going to be my question. They could have done it ahead of time. No, it was found on a pad that was by the phone in the house. And uh, the imprints and whatnot were still on there. And the ransom amount was exactly John Ramsey's, the dad's Christmas bonus that year. And some of the verbiage and the ransom note uh, had to do with movies uh, that were popular at the time. And there was movie posters in the house referencing those movies. But people would say, okay, again, all this points to the parents, but what would be their motive to kill their own daughter? So the conspiracy theory is that the younger brother, it's JonBenet's older brother, but that the son actually killed her. And there's a lot of evidence that points that way and that the parents didn't want to see their 
other child get prosecuted or whatever so that they covered it up for him by staging this you know alleged kidnapping and murder plot so um there's a lot of things that point to the fact that this could be true one is that they said she was sleeping all night but they found pineapple actually in her esophagus during the autopsy which leads them and there was a bowl of pineapple on the counter which leads them (laughs) to believe that she woke up in the morning and had breakfast and that it wasn't something that happened overnight because that would have already been fully digested in her system had she eaten it the night before. There's no scientific way that that would have been there. Number two, when they used modern technology to re-listen to the phone, they were able to take different layers of it and silence it, and they could hear the sun say something to the mom on the 911 call in the background and the parents have always maintained that they woke up and the son was still sleeping and that they looked around and couldn't find her and thought John Bonet was kidnapped. So if the son is heard on the 911 call that completely negates their consistent statements that he was asleep the entire time. So why would they lie about that? They wouldn't. I mean look I, I don't really have an opinion on this uh, on this because I was really really young when this was all happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, look, you seem like one of those like OJ murdered, uh, you know, which I know you are. Oh yeah, so it, it seems like you have that type of enthusiasm for this. But the thing is, with OJ, the evidence was there. It was more a shock that some lawyer was skilled enough to convince a jury to not believe the evidence. Whereas with John Bidet, the evidence was kind of breadcrumbs and people had to put it together. You know, there wasn't a really definitive thing. It's not like that you could point to that and say, oh my gosh, absolutely it was the parents. But obviously over time, it's a little different. The brother obviously claims he has nothing to do with it. The dad maintains his story. The mom has unfortunately since passed away, but yeah, it's a crazy conspiracy theory. I subscribe to it. You should do a deep dive. Yeah. I, I, I are there like some good docs you could point me to? Oh. I mean, the CBS special seems great. I uh, will send you some literature, Tom. <laughs> you know, uh, the CBS thing that you brought up reminded me, and I forget if we've ever talked about it. We definitely never talked about it on the pod, but the OJ special that they did this past spring, where they had like the uh, what was it, the unearthed tapes that had never been seen, where it was the publisher interviewing him about like if I did it. Oh yeah, remember? Oh yeah, that was incredible television. It was because he admits it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I, I was I was actually home watching it with my parents, and we were just like in shock, like oh my god, this is amazing. That is like a plus plus content. I mean, that was incredible. Yeah, but you're also thinking to yourself, how is this just now being unearthed? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I don't get how they were sitting on that for, what was it, a decade? Basically, yeah. (laughs) All right, let's move on to random thing number two. And this is something that we're going to introduce from time to time. And we're going to call it trending up, trending down, where one of us chooses something that's trending up that we're viewing in a positive light and something that's trending down that we think is kind of sucking lately. So, Tom, since I know that you're going to take the positive viewpoint today, why don't you tell me what's trending up in your world? Okay. Uh, So I was at a wedding this past weekend for uh, my good friends, John and Rachel. Congrats to them. Shouts to John and Rachel. And for trending up, I am going to say weddings that don't have the ceremony. They just did a reception, which was fantastic. You show up at five. The open bar starts right away. 
everyone's getting drinks flowing. You sit down, you eat, and then it's dance floor. There's no BS. There was like two speeches at most. And uh, that's trending up for me. I want to see more of those moving forward. I'm, I'm really starting to hit the age where a lot of people are going to get married. They did the ceremony the next day with just close family. Uh, Shouts to them for doing that super Wait, hungover. What? Uh, they had the ceremony yeah. after the party? Yep. So they were celebrating a fake wedding? <laughs> no, so they're Jewish, so they didn't want to do it on Saturday. I guess there's some sort of uh, okay, rules about okay. that in uh-huh, Judaism. Uh-huh. Uh, so they, yeah, they did this. They did the party on Saturday, which was wicked fun. Okay, great after party, and then the next day they kind of they let the the family do their thing. They didn't, you know, make us all sit through that. So, congrats to them, and that that method is trending up for me. Also, a, a small aside trending up: pickled onions oh, on the duh. salad. Delicious. I mean, where have you been oh, the past five God. years? Pickled onions, man. Let are you serious? You. Pickled onions those are in everything. Those changed my, my world, honestly. I'm going to start putting them on everything. So pickled onions, I mean, also trending up. You don't know about John Bonet. You don't know about pickled onions. Like, where have you been, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my world. Life, yeah, my gosh. <laughs> A quick comment on this. I'm firmly, firmly in the camp of whatever the couple wants to do on their wedding day, you do. So if you... Are the couple and you say, hey, you know what? I don't want to have my reception on a Sunday night. Let's have it on a Saturday night. You do you. And I am there. And I support you in your decisions. If you say, hey, I want to have two DJs and no band. Guess what? Good for you. That's your vibe. And I'm with it. However, I am not with you as far as the trending up thing not being the ceremony because I personally love a good wedding ceremony. I love seeing the bride walk down with her dad. I love looking at the groom as the bride walks down because usually he gets a little emotional. I love at the end when everyone cheers and when they kiss. I love when people write their own vows. I think the ceremony, if done correctly, is actually a very underrated part about the wedding process. Okay, so it's funny that you brought up, you know, the groom getting emotional and it's a little embarrassing that I'm going to say this right now, but whatever. We're, we're letting it fly here on small talk. We're amongst friends. Uh, so one of the reasons why I don't like the ceremonies is I am such a sap, and like I'll just get, I'll just cry, and I just don't like crying in public that much, you know. I have never been more upset that you're not going to Saruti's wedding because I would have filmed you crying the entire time. I'm emotional. I don't know. I, 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 I kind of, it's not that I l- like the whole ceremony thing, but like when it's all kind of just thrown in your face like that and you know both people really well and you, it feels genuine. Ah, oh God, it gets me every single time. Like I was crying so much at my friend's wedding last November. I was like, God, ah, what am I doing here? It, it, it wasn't good. Uh, or is it great, Tom? I mean, great. It, it was an amazing, beautiful ceremony, and that's why I was crying. But, uh, yeah, I just, every time. And, like, I got a wedding coming up on next Friday, and it's another close family friend, and, like, I'm going to cry. I know I'm going to cry at the ceremony. It's just, it happens to me every time. So that's part of the reason why trending up for me is not making me go to the ceremony, because then I don't need to look like a big baby in front of everyone that I know. You know what, Tom? It's okay. There has never been a bride that has walked down the aisle with her dad that I have not cried at. So, 
I mean, it's just the most it's special not- moment in their lives. You know what I mean? It's just right. to see the dad give away his daughter and just the look on his face as he walks his daughter down to her future husband is, it's too much. It's too much for me to handle. I cry every time. It's the vows for me that get me. The vows. I didn't take you for much of a vow guy, Tom. I mean, I'm a, I'm a words guy, you know, so <laughs> the words hit me in the right spot. Damn. The words pierce your heart? Yeah. God. And your tear ducts? I'm a crier. I don't know what I don't know what to say. Okay, let's make a bet quickly before we move on to my trending down. Will Sarudi cry at his wedding? Yes or no? No, 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 no. I think he's going to. I think when Maddie no. walks down the aisle, we may see a tear shed from Sarudi. He may he may tear up, but there won't be tears. It won't roll down his cheek. Yeah, he's not. I, he doesn't strike me as a crier. I know that probably shocks our audience. Uh, <laughs> so Rudy, not emotional. I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, I, I would be. I would be shocked if Sarudi cried. Okay. Shocked. Well, I've seen a sneak peek of Maddie in her dress, and let me tell you, she looks amazing. And I think we're going to see a little emo Steve. <laughs> emo Steve. No, I think. I think Sarudi would be like, "Wow, you look beautiful." Period. All right, well, if he cries, you owe me five bucks. If he doesn't cry, I owe you five bucks. Deal? All right, deal. All right, cool. So moving on, trending down for me, and I think you're going to not be pleased with my choice, is a jumbo soft pretzel. Hmm. And here's why. Let me tell you why, Tom. I used to think that soft pretzels were the safest choice at a sporting event or a concert, whatever stadium situation you may find yourself in, right? It's warm. It's carby. It will hold you over. Also, if it's salted correctly, an amazing flavor explosion. Also, also, when else in your life do you use mustard as a dipping sauce? Answer, you don't. You don't. It's a Mm. really good vehicle for mustard, and I'm a mustard fan. However, the past couple times I've had a soft pretzel, I have learned if you have a soft pretzel and it's in any way not perfectly prepared, it's a terrible experience. If it's cold forget about it. If it's in any way kind of hard and not soft, worst choice you could possibly make. So because of that, soft pretzels, in my opinion, trending down. I don't want something where if I'm going to sit there for five minutes and it gets a little cold, is completely ruined. Sometimes I may just be enjoying the event I'm at and need to dip it later. So interesting, I have a few things to nitpick here. I want to start with the mustard comment. Okay. Because mustard is a great dipping sauce for pigs in a blanket. All right. Well, I'm going to go uh, ahead and interrupt you because pigs in a blanket is a savory but sweet breakfast item that you only put maple syrup on. I don't know why on earth you would ever put mustard on pigs in a blanket. Well, because whatever you're calling pigs in a blanket is not <laughs> correct. <laughs> what are you talking Okay. Not- describe in your words what pigs in a blanket is. Okay. So, you know, the little wieners, the little <laughs> mini wieners. <laughs> You wrap those in crescent roll, and you you put them in the oven or whatever. I don't know. I've never made them. I've just eaten them. And they come out. They're nice, fluffy, uh, buttery casing over a delicious little mini wiener. And you dip it in a delicious mustard. Sometimes, you know, a little honey Dijon mustard, a spicy mustard. You, know, you, can, you can get real fancy with the mustards. Uh, I like to go with the traditional Heinz ketchup on the side as well. And uh, there you go. That's pigs in a blanket. What are you talking about? To me, pigs in a blanket is a sausage wrapped 
in a pancake, and the only acceptable <laughs> dipping sauce is maple syrup. It's like a long sausage that takes up the whole pancake, or is it like a mini pancake? No, it's like a mini pancake, yeah. It's a breakfast item. Okay. I mean, look, I'm not saying that doesn't sound delicious. I mean, I am, you know, I, although I did say I wasn't a big sweets guy earlier, I do like sweet and savory together. But how could we have such different interpretations of what pigs in a blanket are? Because one is a breakfast item and one is clearly an appetizer, a savory specific appetizer. But doesn't it sound like a delicious appetizer? I don't know. I'm weird about hot dogs. I enjoy one at a baseball game, but it has like the thought of cutting up a hot dog seems kind of gross. Hmm. But it's not cut up. They have mini little wieners yeah, that you buy. I don't know, I, I don't know Tom. Okay, interesting. Well, yeah, maybe it's a regional thing that you guys in the Midwest call things pigs in a blanket that aren't actually pigs in a blanket. Well, speaking of regional things, shall we move on to random thing number three? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. I mean, people may already know. I think most people know because you have announced it on Twitter. But random thing number three, Tommy Freeze Pops is moving to St. Louis. Yes, it is official. Are you nervous, excited? Please tell everyone how this came to be and share your feelings about it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you and I uh, have been in touch about this move for a while at this point. Uh, And finally, just everything kind of lined up and made sense. And I flew out and I talked to the program director, met with you, I met with Bernie, and... We all kind of vibed, and it all sort of was like, okay, we all kind of want to do the same thing here. And, you know, I've, I've lived in New England my entire life, pretty much, save for a semester where I lived in Los Angeles. You know, I've, I've lived 25 and a half years in New England, either in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, or Connecticut. So I'm ready for a change, and the, the position that I'll be coming into uh, is a position that I think – you know, I could have a lot of fun with, with you and Bernie on, on the morning show. So it just feels like the right move for me. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed the city as, as we've talked about on the podcast. Uh, I had a good time in my, what you know, just over 48 hours in the city. So that was a bonus. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited. So you're going to be uh, getting a lot more of me in your ear holes in the St. Louis area. What's up? Yeah, because what you didn't reveal is that you're going to be the producer of the Bernie Mitchell show in the morning. Yeah, oh, yeah. I guess I didn't say that officially. So I, I am going to be the executive producer of the Bernie Mitchell show on 101 ESPN. And this is the type of role that I've been looking for since I really started this whole radio media journey. And, uh, you know, I'm just really, really excited. I, I I've had a few days to kind of, you know get emotional about it on my own here maybe have a nice cry or two uh <laughs> lock it up tom i mean my know, god leave, leaving the nest you know it's more because i'm gonna be miss i'm gonna miss being able to drive home 45 minutes to see my mom and dad totally uh, that's really tough <laughs> yeah i mean you know how that goes but uh no it's uh it's gonna be awesome and and i'm gonna be able to do a lot more cool stuff with you in the podcast space and you know i won't be on the phone for these podcasts anymore thank I guess, god in theory Right. I Thank mean, God. I think we'll sit in the same studio when we do this, right? Absolutely. Unless I'm sick of you that day. And then I'll make you unless, call in. Unless listeners are like, no, we don't really like how Tom sounds on a mic. 
Like, can we just get them on the phone? Although there is a lost episode that you and I did of Small Talk where I was on a mic in a studio from I Boston. Know, I know. People don't know. It doesn't exist but because it had to be scrapped for, you know, scheduling reasons and timing. Uh, but there is a lost, like, 25-minute podcast conversation between us that is on mic. I think it was scrapped because... Bourdain. Bourdain. That's yeah. right. You were, you, you were feeling a little emotional, and you were like, look, I kind of need this time for myself. And I was like, go for it. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, You're you right. Scrap our really scrap our re- stupid conversation about Kanye's new album, and I forget what else we talked yeah, about. Yeah, I forget. You know, staircase. I don't know. Oh, yeah, maybe the staircase. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped. I mean, it, it's going to be cool to, to be working with you again, Michelle, in a, in a much more official capacity. Right. You know, I've been working as your shadow producer on this podcast for, I don't know, however many months now. But it'll be it'll be fun to kind of work together again. I mean, you and I had such a good time working together at ESPN, and I always felt like we had good working chemistry. So I'm pumped to be working with you again. Bernie and I have clicked. Uh, you know, talking with him over the last few weeks. So I, I think it's going to be really fun, and I think it's going to make a really fun show. So I'm I'm really excited. And, and thank you so much again for helping me make this happen. I'm, I'm pumped. Oh, duh. Are you kidding me? Thank you for coming and taking the job. It's going to be so fun <laughs> to officially work together again. But um, specific to the, this podcast, I don't think a lot of people – realize the work that it takes to get this done every week you know you guys just see the baby you don't understand the labor pains that go behind it and basically i've been doing this all on my own with tom helping me from many many miles away in boston so booking all the guests editing it trying to cobble it together um trying to schedule things trying to get it uploaded at a certain time you know especially when i'm traveling or i have the show to do it's been really difficult to kind of do it and it's been unbelievable, the growth that we've seen and the support that we've been getting from everyone, everyone out there that's downloading it and subscribing it and rating it and reviewing it. It's been so overwhelming and flattering to see this community that's built around it. So to have Tom be actually here and for us to be able to be really hands-on with this and make it a major priority and take it to the next level is going to be really, really exciting. So I'm very, yeah. very pumped for that. The next step then, obviously, Tom, once we get you situated, is we've got to get Saruti to move to the Midwest. <laughs> I think that might be a little harder, you yeah. know, with this whole marriage thing. See, it's easy for me because I, I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. Uh, you know, I can I don't own property. So <laughs> I can kind of just pick up and move. I don't have a pet. Like, I, I can, I can kind of do what I want here. Uh, the only thing I own is a 2011 Chevy Malibu, and that's it. <laughs> If you said to me, what kind of car do you think that Tom drives? I I would probably have to marinate on it for a while. I might have gone like 98 Blazer, but a Chevy Malibu 2011 would have been my next pick. Oh, God, I hate it so much. I, I drove a 2002 Ford Taurus for a very long time, and uh, it finally crapped out at me in the winter of 16 out in Connecticut. It broke down twice in the same day, and Ooh. I said, okay, it's time. It's time. It's time. Um, so then I just got a, I got a Malibu, So and it sucks. It breaks down every six months. It's good stuff. Don't buy a Malibu. Unless Chevy's a sponsor, then go ahead, buy a Malibu. <laughs> They're not a sponsor yet, but if they are, I mean, it's in the works. They could be a sponsor soon. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's close this out with this. My phone just went off, and I looked up, and it's... Saruti on the group text saying, I'm a Rockies fan, guys, but I'm not going to watch any games. 
<laughs> Which is the most Saruti baseball text of all time. Yeah. Go Rockies. I respect that. I, you know what? Me too. I, I mean, except Me I will too. watch the game. I want the Rockies to win the NL. Uh, oh, yeah. You're not, obviously not cheering for them the whole way. But um, no, yeah, exactly. I said on the Bernie show that before the playing games even started that I was pushing all the chips in on the Rockies and then they beat the Cubs. So what more can I ask for from them? Uh, I'm riding with yeah. the Rockies. There you go. I want Rocks v. socks. Give it to me again so we can sweep them again. You're so annoying. Are you fired up about <laughs> Yankees Red Sox? Oh, my God. No, I, I, I am worried, you know. I just I know that in 2004 we came back, but let's not forget we were down 3-0. And granted, all of the players are completely different, but it's still the, the aura of the Yankees. I mean, I just still get a chill up my spine, you know. So, eh, I'm cautiously optimistic. We don't have a bullpen, so hopefully Chris Sale and David Price can learn how to pitch in the postseason, and we won't have to worry about it. If they yeah. can go eight and we can go right to Kimbrel, then we're fine. But, uh, you know, I'm not too sure we can do that. But I've talked too much about the Red Sox. Uh, don't worry, Tom, because historically David Price has performed really well against the Yankees. Yeah, see, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> not only is he bad in the postseason, he's especially bad against the Yankees. So congratulations. <laughs> he's our number two starter heading into the postseason. Woo-hoo! Oh, and man. Chris Dale is 0-1 in postseason career, got smoked by the Astros last year. He's starting on Friday. Hasn't really pitched in a month. Really not feeling great, Michelle, for a 108-win <laughs> team. Really not feeling good. You know, which is insane to say. 108 wins. Most wins in team history. And I don't think we're going to beat the Yankees in the first round. I totally feel you. I remember in 15, the Cardinals won the division, I believe, by a game. And they were a 99-win team. The Pirates, I believe, were a 98-win team. And the Cubs, that was a great year. Great year. Cubs right after that. And heading into the DS versus the Cubs, I was like, this is going to be a problem. And I thought, <laughs> here's a 99-win team, won the division, and I'm not that sure about them. So I feel you on that. Yeah. No, it's not good. It's not good. I love JD, though. love Mookie. Hopefully they can figure it out. Hopefully not, because I want nothing more than to see the Red Sox go down because of 04 and because of 13 and just because oh, of, what happened? you know, their fan base. Even though I'm sure it would be an absolute blast to let Tom preview Yankees Red Sox in the ALDS, let's turn the reins over to a professional. We'll get an expert on the line, and we're going to do just that with Robert Flores from MLB Network coming up next. Take 101 ESPN on the go with the all-new 101 Sports app. See the latest videos, listen to podcasts, and join the conversation with the 101 Sports app. Well, if you love baseball as much as I do, you're super familiar with our guest this week on Small Talk. And we're so pleased to be joined by Robert Flores of MLB Network. I'm sure you've seen him on MLB Central talking about your favorite teams. Robert, it's so great to chat with you. Thanks for the time. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, Well, let's get into this. I want to keep it local and talk about the Cardinals first and then expand it to the MLB postseason now that everything is locked in. But, you know, first first of all, locally, the biggest topic here, obviously, is that the Cardinals missed the postseason again, third year in a row, Mm -hmm. which, as you know, here in St. Louis is not okay. Um, No, that's not does not go over well, I can imagine. No, it's unusual territory for people here. And, you know, fans have been clamoring for this for a while. But now that they've missed the postseason yet again, it's reached somewhat of a fever pitch and fans 
fans are really wanting Bill DeWitt to open up the checkbook this offseason. And Stein, mm-hmm. an already cemented star. And there's two big ones out there on the market, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. And Cardinals fans are dying for one of them to wear the birds on the bat. But I'm wondering, in your opinion, from a national standpoint, moving it out of St. Louis, if you even think the Cardinals are a realistic landing spot for either of those players. Well, let, let me answer uh, that by saying, uh, with with this question, maybe the Cardinals don't need them. Maybe the Cardinals don't need either Machado or or Bryce Harper. Uh, I, I think their biggest downfall, especially towards the stretch, was defense. Uh, defense has been a problem for this team the past couple of years. I mean, when you think of Cardinal baseball and all the great teams through the years, one thing, they could pitch and they could catch the ball. And the catching of the ball recently has, has been a problem. There was times where it would, was uh, much better this year, but towards the end, it, was, it, it, there, it failed them in, in key spots. So uh, is Manny Machado a great defensive shortstop? Uh, the metrics say no. Is Bryce Harper a great defensive outfielder? The numbers and metrics say no. So what are you, what are you going to spend $200, $300, $400 million for? Uh, star power, uh, tr- you know, tremendous haircuts by Bryce Harper and Manny Machado? I, I, just, I just don't think that that's what the Cardinals need. I think they're headed in the right direction to begin with. Um, o- Ozuna produced he played hurt for most of the year i think we can agree with that and he's not going to you know make excuses for that um i love flarity i love tyler o'neill i i I love harrison bader um i think they're in the right they're headed in the right direction I, i just don't think that the harper and machado provide what's needed right now and if the cardinals are looking for amazing hair flips they do have harrison bader already in the outfield that's true. I mean, we you know we we call him we call him Tweeter on uh, on MLB Central because he's kind of like Tweeter from uh, Varsity Blues. I mean, I, I he seriously he's one of the guys that I always say I enjoy watching him play because you can't take your eyes off of him on the screen. He pops out. He plays hard. Uh, you know, good outfield, good glove, and I think those kind of things are are you know the cardinals are they're headed in the right direction and again I, i'm just not sure spending all those resources and funds in machado and harper who who are in a lot of ways transcendent talents i'm not sure that that's the that gets you over the hump i couldn't agree more especially about the defensive part that last week of baseball, the Cardinals headed into that Monday game versus the Brewers, and they had their fate in their hands. And then we saw a week yeah. of just a collapse. I called it stumbling down the stretch as a nod to Garcia yeah. stumbled rounding third base. But oh, we saw yeah. one error after another with this team, not only in the Brewers series and the Cubs series, but even when they swept the Giants the weekend before, we saw shades of that coming through. And they had so many young players on this roster, especially the pitchers, True. that just had an unprecedented workload down the stretch obviously those players are going to get tired at some point yeah i mean it's very true and and i also think that when you're constantly in a pursuit mode which the cardinals it felt like they were for most of the season i mean they didn't get off to a great start they fire their manager uh and they're constantly chasing and and i think that that takes a toll on you it's difficult to to sort of maintain that hot streak in which they were on in the middle of the summer when they really caught fire and i think that takes a lot out of you and as you mentioned the young players 
uh, unprecedented workload, that also takes a toll. Well, one of the things I think, especially with Bryce Harper, that Cardinals fans feel is if the Cardinals don't land him, I think everyone kind of assumes that the Cubs will. And there's this, or at least will be one of the teams in contention for him. You know, there's a lot of signs that point to the fact that that might be an option for him. And that Cardinals-Cubs dynamic is always really interesting. There's a lot of ways you could psychoanalyze it. But like you mentioned, the Cardinals had an unbelievable summer, especially that really hot August. And they locked up Mike Schilt. They removed the interim tag and made yeah. him the full-time manager they rewarded him but then you know the cubs get bounced from the postseason they lose there's all these rumblings that joe madden might be available and i think a lot of fans here kind of started wondering if the cardinals made a mistake removing <laughs> that interim tag right they wonder if they should have waited until the offseason yeah. and kind of surveyed the landscape before they made shelter the full-time manager so what do you think do you think the cardinals should have waited and seen what was out there or do you think they did the right thing locking up mike Schilt when they did I think that they did do the right thing. Look, he and we pointed it out, and there were many others pointed out, there were a couple of moves late in the season or moves he didn't make that you know left you scratching your head a little bit. And maybe you uh, chalk that up to a, a lack of, of experience. But um, clearly the team uh, responded to him. Uh, clearly they enjoyed playing for him. And... They, there was something that he provided or inspired in those players that Mike Matheny was not for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, I do think that made, you know, they made the right decision because if you have a guy that can have his team ready and playing a, a good brand of baseball for a sustained period of time. Now granted, it wasn't, turned out it wasn't long enough, but it's still, uh, they were, there was a time where they were the hottest team in baseball. So, I think it will be interesting to see how uh, Mike Schilte moves on from here. Maybe he learns from those mistakes or things that uh, that didn't work out towards the end of the season, and he finds a way to, to correct that, and they can get back into the postseason. The Joe Madden Cub situation really fascinates me, too. He's the guy that brought this fan base and this organization the prize that they had yearned after for so long. And here's a team mm-hmm. who gets bounced early from the postseason, and now everyone's kind of saying oh, I wonder if he's run his course here. And I know that Theo came out and said that Joe Madden is going to come back for 19, but he didn't say anything about an extension, which I thought was really odd Mm -hmm. for a manager to head into the final season of his contract without that safety net. So I'm wondering if, despite what they're saying on the north side, if there's a chance that the Cubs and Joe Madden could still mutually part ways. I think I would be surprised if that parting of the ways happens, uh, you know, before... Uh, the 2019 season, especially in light of what Theo said. I mean, Theo said, hey, he's our manager. But but you're right. And uh, Ken Rosenthal had this point um, this morning was that, hey, if, you know, Theo had some nice things to say, but I contend if he really felt that way, then why aren't you locking him up with an extension? So I think that that's something that bears watching. I think he is going to be the manager uh, going into 2019. And, and really it depends on, you know, who do they, what pieces do they add? Uh, is Chris Bryant going to come back healthy? Um, but you're right. If if they get off to a slow start or sort of an uneven start, then with that, hey, no extension, is it a lame duck situation? Then you're going to start seeing some, some rumblings and whispers. And then I think it gets really interesting. I don't know if you believe in conspiracy theories, Real Flow, but mine was that Theo said this to just quiet the questions and that Madden was going to eventually head to Anaheim and take the Angels job and the Cubs were going to mm. sign Girardi. Yeah, I mean... You know, that, that's certainly a plausible explanation. Look, if, if Joe 
has had a, a month or six weeks to think about it and says, you know what, I, I just don't feel comfortable. Uh, this is not the right thing for me, especially if you're not wanting to, to make a commitment beyond 2019, then yeah, maybe there is some sort of way to uh, uh, plan a departure. And he does have experience with the uh, with the Angels, has strong ties there, and and Joe Girardi certainly is a is a free agent and uh, uh, has strong ties to the Cubs. So yeah, I think it's an entirely, uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility of that happening. All right, well, let's talk about the postseason now that it's officially set. I mean, Yankees, mm-hmm. Red Sox, in the postseason for the first time since 2004 ALCS. It's the best rivalry in sports, and we're going to see it in the yep. postseason. There's not much better than that in sports. No, it, it doesn't get any better. Um, they're the two, you know, two of the cornerstone franchises of Major League Baseball. Um, the, the rivalry is intense. It's historical. And it's a rivalry from just about every facet. The team, the players don't uh, particularly enjoy one another. They play each other 19 times a year. The fans certainly uh, have a good time going back and forth at one another. Um, and I, I think it's going to be, uh, for me, I, I, I need to see how Chris Sale looks. That that right there is because if, if he's not the Chris Sale that we saw um, around May or June, before he went on his hiatus, then the, then the Red Sox are in real, real trouble. Because if, if the Yankees go in, take game one, and now got David Price, who his problems against the Yankees are well chronicled, you're having David Price pitch with basically your postseason on the line. You can't go down 0-2 to Yankee Stadium. Uh, that That's going to be infinitely interesting. So, yeah, there's just so many things that are, could happen. But the biggest one is, what does Chris Sale look like? As someone who obviously followed the Cardinals all year and had a front row seat to the NL Central, I am so intrigued by Milwaukee. I can't wait to watch mm-hmm. them in this postseason. They are so dangerous as far as I'm concerned, obviously. Yeah, and I also think that, look, in the wild card game, the Amer- the uh, Oakland A's gave us a, a glimpse of bullpenning, and clearly that did not work out in their favor. Uh, but Milwaukee's going to do a bullpen situation for game one. Uh, they trust their bullpen. They believe in it. Josh Hader is uh, is filthy. And he's he's seemingly back, and uh, they have a, a variety of of weaponry that they can throw at Colorado. And their their lineup. I mean, Kane Yelich at the top, Jesus Aguilar, uh, also uh, Ryan Braun is is finding his stroke. And if he it continues to stay hot, that makes them even more dangerous offensively. One of the things about the Brewers is that they seem just really cohesive. They seem like they're having fun all of the time, mm-hmm. which yeah. I think is no, huge for a team down the stretch. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely something there. Um, there's a you know something that you can't really put your finger on, and you, it's hard to quantify and, uh, of how important it is. But I, it, it is important. Um, it, it's a um, yeah, I think it's a thing, and the Brewers have it. Uh, they, they clearly enjoy one another. Uh, there's some something special, some sort of mojo that they got, and uh, they're actually my pick to come out of the National League. 
Well, speaking of fun, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is that Major League Baseball, they released a postseason ad, and it featured Ken Griffey Jr. He was kind Mm -hmm. of poking fun at or highlighting these unwritten rules in baseball and suggesting that it's maybe time to shed those and embrace fun in the game again, which, ironically, speaking of, is something that we're really seeing the Brewers do this season. And I've been on this for a while. I love this notion. I love that the league is self-aware enough to realize that this is a real issue and they want to correct it. But do you think it's just as simple as that? That, do you think that baseball can actually negate and reverse this stuffy, antiquated environment? Because it really is still a problem at times. Yeah, I, and I really think that um, it is a problem, but I think it's it's a problem that will not be as, as prevalent in, in years to come because we are seeing the younger generation. The, the game is younger. Uh, there's so many players, so many uh, players that play important roles right now across the league that are very, very young. Alex Bregman uh, in Houston, for example, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., Juan Soto. Uh, we mentioned the young players that the Cardinals have. And all those guys play with, with an edge. They play with, uh, with some swag, and, and they play with, with a lot of emotion, which I think is, is something that, that makes it, from an entertainment standpoint, uh, it just makes it a good watch. If you are seeing genuine emotion, whether it be frustration or enjoyment, I think it makes for compelling television. So I give Major League Baseball a lot of credit for, as you said, being self-aware to know, hey, this is something that we get the bad rap for. But if you look at it, we have a lot of guys that get it, that are young, that are exciting, and that play with an edge. That was my only potential criticism of the ad is I love that they use Ken Griffey Jr. obviously because he was a guy who took heat because of his swag at times mm-hmm. during that era. But I think then they should have also had all of these young dynamic players in the ad saying, hey, we're here and we're fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's something to be um, that that's fair. Um, I would say that uh, I, and I don't know how the ad came about or the creative process, but. I would imagine that if, if, if anyone had approached those players, those young players that we just talked about, about saying some of those things, I bet you some of them would beg, you know, would beg off of it a little bit. They would probably say, oh, I'm not quite sure I want to put that out there yet. Because there is still a, there is still a resistance to that sort of, uh, that sort of thinking, that, uh, display of emotion. So, um, I'm not sure what the process was, but I have a feeling there's a lot of current players that would be like, hey, I love having fun, I love showing emotion, but I'm not quite sure I want to kind of put myself, paint myself in that light just yet. Sure. Before we wrap this up, there's a couple things I need to ask you about you so that our listeners can get a little bit of a different side of Flow. I like that. So you've been in this industry a very long time. You've had an amazing career, still have an amazing career. You know, Thank you. You've done SportsCenter, MLB Network. You've done a lot of highlights throughout your day. Is there a catchphrase mm-hmm. or a highlight or a specific call that you would say this is going in Flow's Hall of Fame, his broadcasting Hall of Fame? Um, there's probably one that it's not necessarily one that I would pick, but it's probably one that people would say, oh yeah, that's got to be in there. And that is doing, uh, tennis highlights with Novak Djokovic and, you know, inserting the Wayne Brady line is, is Wayne Brady going to have to Djokovic, you know, using (laughs) Novak's last name. So that's probably one that would, would probably be in, in the, 
you know, on the old resume reel or, or whatever, the time capsule if you had to pick one. That's really good. Was that something that you actively tried to do every night, or was it just something that happened organically? You know, I, I in the beginning, there was, sure, you know, you're trying stuff out there, and more, more often than not, when you kind of pre-plan it or something like that, um, it ends up coming off forced or, or corny or whatever. Whereas the other things, if you just kind of let them happen or, you know, let it come to you as to use a athletic term, then I, I think it's, it's infinitely more, more effective that way. For most people, they may not know this, but outside the Sports Center studios in Bristol is a wall that's adorned with mm-hmm. all the famous catchphrases that are on Sports Center. Yep. And I always wondered if Sports Center anchors, as they walked into the studio and saw that wall with all those famous Stuart Scott quotes, etc., wondered, okay, what am I right. going to do tonight that's going to get me on the wall? Well, the one with Novak Djokovic should definitely have been on the wall. Um, it should. For some reason, it wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. Um but yeah, you know, you'd walk in there and you see all those catchphrases, and it is kind of cool. You're like, oh yeah, okay, I remember that. Um, but you know, guys like that really kind of redefined the medium, created the medium really of of you know doing highlights, and because before they did it, that wasn't something that was that was done. So, um, but yeah, you would kind of look look on there and say, oh, I've got something that should definitely be on there. Um, but it, it was kind of cool to see all those all those catchphrases when you walk in. So one of the things that I didn't know about you in preparing for this interview, mm-hmm. I did a little Googling, a little uh, social media creeping, if you will. Uh-oh. I didn't know Uh-oh. that you had such a prolific history in film and that you were in mm-hmm. the movie Friday Night Lights and that you're still getting residual checks from it. Yeah, I, every now and then I'll get a check for like uh, $20 or $28 or... Uh, something along those lines. Um, it was, I was working in Austin at the time and, uh, they were doing, they had done some scenes and work there in Austin. And, uh, I met with the, uh, director, Peter Berg and read some stuff for him in a, in a room in Austin. And they, they hired me and I was a reporter and you can, you know, my voice, I guess it's in the opening scene asking questions of, of uh Derek Luke I think was his name uh Billy Bob Thornton and uh a couple others so it was um yeah it was it was a really cool experience and it was something I'll I'll never forget and um yeah it it is funny cuz I'll be flipping around and you'll see it like on TNT or USA Network every now and then and like you said I get those uh those big $8.45 checks every now and then. <laughs> well, I'll have to go back and watch the movie and look for your cameo. But I was thinking if you're, yeah. if you're still getting residual checks for this, I wonder what the other actors who had these big contracts, what their checks look like. I know, right? Um, uh, Tim McGraw was in there. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, Billy Bob Thornton. Who else was in that? Um, Let's pull it up. Shoot, I can't remember. Oh, you know what? The... Um, the, the the guy that plays Magnum PI in the reboot, I think Jay Hernandez is his name. He's he was in that he was in that movie. So it was a it was a really um, really cool experience, um, and I'm glad I got the chance to do it. Yeah, looking up uh, Tim McGraw, Connie Britton, who was also in the TV uh, yes, Friday Night Lights, right. was in it. Uh, Garrett Headland. Mm-hmm. 
Amber Heard. This is, you know, I was such a big fan of the TV show Friday Night Lights that I haven't seen the movie in quite some time. So I'm going to have to you go back. You haven't, really? In like yeah, years. You should, you, yeah, you should definitely give it a watch. Odessa, Texas. I remember reading the, the script. Yeah, I remember reading the script uh, as I was just, you know, just hanging out on the set. And I was reading the script going, this movie's going to be terrible. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't visualize it. But, you know, Peter Berg is, a, is an amazing director and did a, did a great job. I'm one of those people that whenever a movie is spun into a TV show or a TV show conversely to a movie, I always think, oh, the second iteration of this is going to be terrible. And Friday Night Lights was yeah. such a great movie that I thought the show would absolutely suck. And it ended I up being the same thing. one of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah, it, it's really a good watch. All right. Last thing for you, Robert Flores. One of my okay. favorite anecdotes about you is that you once got into a beef with Swaggy P with Nick Young, uh-huh. a Twitter beef, and then yeah. it proceeded from there uh, because you made comments about his then fiance Iggy Azalea on SportsCenter saying that she was trying to kill hip hop, which is hilarious. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what was that experience like for you to know that you had this NBA star coming after you on Twitter? Well, it was weird, um, first of all. It was just kind of a you know silly throwaway line. But, yeah, it just kind of took a life of its own. And, um, you know, that just kind of perfectly encapsulizes the, you know, social media and, and things like that. But, yeah, it was like for two or three days it was a hot thing. And then, you know, after that everyone moved on, which is kind of like the shelf life of, uh, of news and scandals this you know, these days you uh, you pay attention to it with uh, white hot intensity for forty eight to seventy two hours, and we're we're all moving on to something else. Yeah, but I think you got the last laugh when you said he can take a shot at me, but there's a seventy percent chance he's going to miss it. Yeah, that was. I'm not going to lie, that was a pretty good line. That was a really good line. <laughs> you ethered him, that's for sure. As far as rap battles go, um, but okay. Final question for you: If you could get uh-huh. into a beef, a social media beef, uh, with any current athlete or celebrity, you know, you could really just take your shot at them online. Who would it be? I think it would be um, Trevor Bauer, uh, oh. Cleveland's. Uh, yeah, I, I really. First of all, I, I enjoy Trevor Bauer. I think he is. Uh, he's kind of like the. A little, little bit of a of an online kind of troll who likes to tweet people and and stuff like that. I think he enjoys the the back and forth of it. I think it's uh, something that, quite frankly, I think he enjoys using it when he's out on the mound. He loves being that guy that that people boo. Um, I think he kind of thrives in in that environment. But um, yeah, I think it, I think that would be interesting just because I think he's a smart guy. A a unique personality who goes about things uh, very differently. Um, but as I said, I, he's there's no doubt about how talented he is. So, yeah, I think that would be interesting if we got into something like that. You should make it happen. Uh, well, I might need to come up with uh, with some hot fire to send his way and see if that'll, that'll get, him, get him going. Some flame emojis, if you will. Yes, there you go. I just think there's so many athletes that fit the mold for this. You know Kevin Durant would be such an easy target. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, you know, him with the burner counts. Ben Roethlisberger, yes. I mean, there's so many I athletes think... that have revealed their hand that they're sensitive and insecure, and if you wanted to engage them in a Twitter beef, you know that they'd bite. Yeah, I, I remember um, it may have been last year when there was, like, this revelation of that all these people had discovered they were were blocked by Ben Roethlisberger, <laughs> yeah. and they didn't, even, you know, they didn't even know it, so... Yeah, he would be a good one. Kevin Durant, a known commodity. 
Um, but look, you know, to be fair, I, I, I can imagine, uh, look, I, I, we get criticized for the jobs that we do, and it's probably a tenth of, of the sort of, uh, criticism or backlash or, uh, mean comments that some of these high profile athletes, uh, see. And, and sure, it, it if, it affects us. I can imagine what how it affects them. That's so true. And it's ironic that I'm bringing this up and encouraging a Twitter beef because in the last podcast we did, I was saying that Twitter has become a cesspool of mean and that we should all be nicer to one another. So I'm yeah. a big hypocrite. Oh, it's definitely that. Oh, it's it's definitely that. We're we're all doomed, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, Robert Flores, Roflo, you're the absolute best. Thank you for coming on the podcast this week. Uh, let everyone know what your assignment is for the postseason. How can they see you on MLB Network? Yeah, well, I'll be covering the American League Championship Series. So, uh, you know, obviously one of uh, four cities is still in the mix, Houston, Cleveland, Boston, New York. Um, so it, it's definitely going to be fun, that, that's for sure. It's going to be it's really interesting to see how this uh, D- Division Series round goes. Well, thanks so much for the time, Robert. You got it. Have a great one. Thanks again to Robert Flores for joining us this week. I'm really hyped for the MLB postseason, so it was fun to kind of get a primer from him. But make sure to follow him on Twitter, at RollFlow. And thanks, as always, to Tommy Freeze Pops. It's hard to believe that in a few short weeks, Tom is going to be sitting in the studio with me. Uh, but we're really looking forward to that. It's going to be an awesome, awesome move for him and for the pod. And thanks to you guys, as always, for your continued support of the pod, for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. This is my favorite review of the week. It's from Ken Seifert. He says, great show. The post-show pod was always one of my favorites back in the day, but there was always something missing. I finally found what that something was. Michelle's take on leftovers. I wholeheartedly agree and was never able to put it into words. Thank you, Ken. I've been taking a lot of heat for that take on leftovers, on the fact that I don't like them, that I think they're a little bit gross. So it's nice to know that I have a kindred spirit in you out there in the world. So if you haven't already, head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review Small Talk. We may read your review at the end of the pod. And actually, next week, we are going to be coming to you from Bristol, Connecticut. It'll be the first time that I'm back on campus since I left ESPN. And I'm so excited, not only to go up there for Saruti's wedding, but to see so many of my favorites that I haven't seen in almost a calendar year. So I'm really looking forward to that. Until then, good night, Boston. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.